we are in the midst of a series called At the Feet of Jesus. And uh, we're looking at the lives of people who uh, experienced a life-changing event at the feet of Jesus. This morning, I want us to look at the story again that uh, you're familiar with of the, the ten lepers. We find their story in Luke chapter 17. If you have your copy of Scripture, I want to invite you to look with me in Luke chapter 17. If you're following along in the, the Bible app by version, uh, you can find that event for today, and you can follow along the, the service there. And the uh, uh, Scriptures have already been put together for you there, and there are places where you can take notes and things like that. Uh, so look with me at uh, Luke 17, and this morning we're going to uh, talk about giving thanks at His feet. Uh, giving thanks at His feet. Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, He was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as He entered a village, He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance. These lepers, these men who had uh, this disease called leprosy, as, uh, as you know in, uh, in, in the uh, Gospels when it talks about leprosy, that word can mean a wide range of, of problems. But given the context, we believe this is the, uh, the, the same leprosy that you and I are familiar with is it Hansen's disease where the, the, the skin gets all these sores and those sores then lead to decay and, and um, especially back then when uh, they didn't treat it the same, didn't know what to do with it, they basically just kind of walk around as their body decays until they finally die. It's a terrible disease, it's very, very contagious and because of that, the book of Leviticus has rules uh, for those who have leprosy in order to protect everyone else. The book of Leviticus says that if one has leprosy, he has to stay away from people and even um, uh, shout at a distance. If anyone is coming close to them, they had to shout out, leprosy, leprosy, so that, or unclean is what they would say. And then that way people would know not to get anywhere close to them. And here are ten. Oftentimes uh, you can imagine how lonely that experience must have been when you had to tell people, stay away from me. And so oftentimes when there were people who already had that same affliction, they could get together and they could at least share uh, their company together. And so they formed little groups and colonies, if you will. And here is a group of ten. These folks have found each other, and they, uh, they, they're able to share together. But in accordance to the law of Leviticus, they stood at a distance. In verse 13 it said, And they lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. Well, that sounds like an odd thing to say. They asked for mercy, and he said, go see a preacher. In, in actuality, the, uh, when a person was healed 
from leprosy. The way that that was verified was seeing a priest. And the priest had certain rules or certain uh, checklists that, that he would check off to verify that this person really is healthy again and can therefore come back to the temple and worship God again and be around other people. So it was the priest's job to verify that someone had been healed of leprosy. Therefore, when they said, Jesus, have mercy on me, and he said, go show yourselves to the priests, they knew what that meant. They knew, we're going to get healed. And we get to go show the priests so he can verify that healing. I do think it's very, very interesting that he did not specifically heal them first and then say, now go prove it. Instead, he gave them something to do to demonstrate their faith. And it is once they obeyed, it is once they turned and started to go to the priests, then they received their healing. In verse 14 again, he, when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Had they not gone, perhaps they would not have been cleansed because it was that demonstration of obedience, that demonstration of faith that enabled them to experience the power of Jesus in their lives. They obeyed and they were healed and Jesus saved their lives. Now, as we think about that short story, I want us to ask three questions and as we ask those three questions, I want us to make sure that we're not just thinking about them back then, but we're also thinking about us today, all right? And the first question that we need to ask is, who's here? Who's here? We pick up the story in verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Praising God with a loud voice. Only one turned back. All ten were told, go show yourselves to the priest. And they started their journey to the priest. Once they started their journey, that, that statement of obedience and faith was verified and they were healed. And they all continued their journey except for one. One turned back, glorifying God. I think, that is, uh, I think that's very important for us to put ourselves into that story because you and I have been blessed in so many ways. God has been so good to us that we kind of get used to it. We get used to His gifts and His blessings. And it's almost kind of like we expect it. Dare we say we might even feel at times that we deserve it. And it's really easy for us to just stay on our way, just keep going our direction and doing our thing. It's very rare, as a matter of fact, if this, if this story could uh, give us the statistics, I, we would say it's very rare, only 10% of us remember to turn back and say, oh, thank you, God. It's so rare for folks to remember to give gratitude and to glorify God. 
Verse 16. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. It's not easy to turn back, but there is no better place to be than on your face before the feet of Jesus. This one turned back, and not only was he praising and glorifying God, but he fell on his face at the feet of Jesus, and he gave thanks. The others received their healing, but this one gave thanks to the healer. This one stopped, and he came back and said thank you. It's interesting then that Luke adds for us kind of an editorial comment. He said, now he was a Samaritan. And in the Greek, it emphasizes that he, we, we might say in English, now he himself was a Samaritan. In other words, the other nine were Jews. Remember, Jesus is traveling now between the two regions. He's kind of on the border between the area where the Jews live and the area where the, the Samaritans live. And so it's not surprising that a group of 10 people would, can, would include folks from both areas. What is surprising is that it was the Jews who knew all about God and His goodness who got so selfish and so busy that they didn't take time to turn back. The one, the Samaritan, everyone hearing that story originally, or reading that story originally, and everyone who saw it that day would have been shocked that it was the Samaritan who came back. They viewed Samaritans as dogs. They were kind of they were kind of looked down upon. Uh, religiously speaking, they were half breeds, and they weren't they weren't real God people. They were just kind of God people, and and it was a weird history thing there that 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 they were looked down upon and and not respected at all. And yet, it was one of those folks that came back, not one of the nine who had grown up being taught the truth about Yahweh and had every opportunity to understand Him and to express gratitude. No, it was a Samaritan who came back. As we read through the story, I think most of us think that we're like that Samaritan. We would be the one who came back. But if we look at our lives overall, we'd have to confess that most of us live most of our lives like the nine. We're on our way. We're grateful for it, but we keep moving. Most of us would have to say, I rarely take time to stop and come back and fall at his feet and say thank you. So we ask ourselves, who's there? It was the one who chose to come back. The second question, who's missing? As we continue in our story, verse 17 then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? We have to ask not only who's here and recognize the one Samaritan, but we have to ask who's missing and recognize the nine who didn't come back. One turned back and glorified God. And Jesus said, But there were ten. Who's missing? He did the same thing for all ten, so all ten should be there. William Barclay 
wrote, no story in all the Gospels so poignantly shows man's ingratitude like the lepers in Luke 17. So often, once a man has got what he wants, he never comes back. And so in, in verse 18, then, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner, this Samaritan? Verse 19, And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And that well, that word speaks of a, of, of a, a holistic experience. In other words, the others were changed on the outside, but the Samaritan was changed on the inside as well. He was now completely well. They all went to the priest to, to, to show their belief, but only one had an actual personal faith. See, the others were, were excited because their obedience led to healing, but only one understood that this is a personal experience. It's about a relationship. Only one got that. And so he came back in a relationship experience and fell at the feet of Jesus to say thank you. And so we look at the story and we ask, who's here? Well, there's just one. And we ask, who's missing? There's most of us the nine, the majority, those who kind of get used to experiencing God. And then we have to ask the third question, what makes the difference? What is the difference between who's here and who's missing? And there are two answers to the question. What makes the difference between those who fall at his feet and give thanks and those who go on about their way? The first answer to that question is their focus is different. You see, in 13 and 14, they lifted up their voices saying, have Jesus, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest, and they were cleansed. Their focus was on their circumstances. Jesus, help us. We're, we're, we're sick. Help us. Jesus did his thing, and they went on about their circumstances. They went on to the priests. They, the, the events of their lives and the circumstances that surrounded them were what they were focused on. But the one who came back had a different focus. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. One had his focus on Christ. The others had their focus on the circumstances. There are two times when we have to be careful about our focus. One is when things are going really well. We have to be careful about our focus when things are going really well. Because when things are going really well, we kind of forget that we need God. You know, we got this. Everything's happening my way. This is good stuff. Man, I'm going through a good season. Life is great. And we kind of forget that we need to trust. The other time that we need to be careful about our focus is when things are going bad. Because when things are going bad, we wind up getting our 
focus on the circumstances. Look how bad things are. Look how rough life is. Look at all my problems, all my illness, all my, all my sadness. Look, look at the stuff around me. And in both of those times, we need to be really careful about our focus, that our focus is not on the circumstances, but our focus is on Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 5 and 18, give thanks in all circumstances. So your focus isn't on the circumstances. Regardless of the circumstances, you can learn to give thanks. Notice that that doesn't say for all circumstances. You don't give thanks. That's That's a religious game that we play that holds one another up to an an unrealistic and unmeaningful standard. When we say give thanks for everything, there are some things that we're not grateful for. I'm not grateful for illness. I'm not grateful when a loved one dies. I'm not grateful for cancer. So it's not that you're grateful for everything, but look at what it says in all circumstances. So regardless of the circumstances around you, you can find something for which to be grateful. You can learn to stay at the feet of Jesus and give thanks regardless of the circumstances around you. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. The the, the second answer to the question of what makes the difference between the one who is here and the nine who are not. What makes the difference? There there are two answers. One is their focus. The other answer is their attitude. Their attitude makes that difference. Henry Ward Beecher once said, if one should give me a dish of sand, now follow this, it took me a while to, uh, to, to, to wrap my brain around this when I first read it, so follow this quote from Beecher. If one should give me a dish of sand, and tell me there were particles of iron in it. I might look for them with my eyes and search for them with my clumsy fingers and be unable to detect them. But let me take a magnet and sweep through it. And how would it draw to itself the almost invisible particles be the mere power of attraction? The unthankful heart, like my finger in the sand, discovers no mercies. But let the thankful heart sweep through the day, and as the magnet finds the iron, so it will find in every hour some heavenly blessings. If I go through life with a grateful heart, I wind up seeing and experiencing Many more blessings because I'm looking for them so I can be grateful for them. I go through life without a grateful heart, no telling how many I miss along the way. So 1 Chronicles 16 and 34, give thanks to the Lord for He is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Martin Reinhardt was a Lutheran minister who came to Eilenburg, Saxony, at the beginning of the Thirty Years' War. The walled city of Eilenburg became the refuge for political and military fugitives, but the result of that was overcrowding, deadly pestilence and famine. Armies overran it three times. 
During the height of a severe plague in 1637, Reinhardt was the only surviving pastor in Eilenburg, conducting so many as 50 funerals in a day. He performed more than 4,000 funerals in that year, including that of his wife. It was during that time when his pastorate was the most difficult that he wrote these words. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things has done in whom this world rejoices who from our mother's arms has blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. He understood that what makes the difference between the one at Jesus' feet giving thanks and the nine who've gone their way, the one, thing, the, one of the things that makes a difference is their attitude. So Colossians 3 and 17 says, whatever you do in word or deed, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of what you're doing, regardless of what's happening around you, whatever you do in your word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. There is always some reason to turn and fall on your face at the feet of Jesus. So this morning I ask you to think, to picture the feet of Jesus and then ask yourself, who's here? Who's missing? Am I there? <laughs> 